Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 25 and 26 of The Eye of the World, The Traveling People, and White Bridge. Enjoy. All right, moving on to episode 13 for us. Um, before we get started with everything for the actual content and episode, I want to do a quick quick couple of shout-outs. Uh, first, just to our Discord. Um, it's really, really been popping off lately. Uh, we've done a couple of things there. We've added a, um, a, a chat section called the, the, the Badger's Barrow, Burrow, uh, after Ian, our honey badger himself. Um, it's kind of his, his, little, his little home there. And, uh, and you know, yeah, he sleeps in it, you know, not every night, but every couple of nights we have people come in there and we just chat. Um, we have other content creators coming there as well. Um, I'm not trying to blow up their spot because they haven't given permission, but there are other content creators, YouTubers, um, people on Twitter, you know, that that do come in and talk to us as well on there. So it's a, if you want more content, it's free. That's just another way for for you guys to interact with us. Um, so think about joining our discord. Uh, the links are in the description below. Uh, probably in the bigger news is uh, we have a new Patreon. So, woo. Um, woo! Thank you. Yeah. So, thank you so much. Uh, Delusions of Grindel is our newest Patreon. Um, uh, that's her uh, handle on our Discord. And um, and uh, we, we're very, very happy and appreciate any 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 monetary gifts that any one of you going to give to us. Uh, like I said, I've, I've said this like a broken record, but all that goes back to you guys. Tonight, we're actually thinking about actually recording a bonus episode for our Patreons as well. So, you know, you'll get those kind of content. You'll get um, giveaways, all sorts of other things. It's all on the Patreon website. That's also below. So feel free to click on that. Even if you want to go, just go look at uh, what kind of things you'll get. So, um, so yeah, um, that's it for kind of the announcements. Um, like I said, they got the first bonus episode. So uh, I want to talk a little about life. I know it's been a week since we all hung out. Things have gotten worse uh, are better i don't know depends on whether you're introvert or extrovert um virginia where we all live or, or where we're all currently located is like shut down now so uh we're all on complete lockdown um, it? <laughs> well, it's 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 a mandatory lockdown that you can get fines i don't know if anybody's actually taking it serious still but um technically 
you can actually get fines now for hanging out groups more than 10. Um, they did announce today there's a local hiking trail called the Dolan Trail, uh, but they, they shut it down today. And it was dead. Yeah. Yeah, it shut down because uh, people weren't social distancing properly. So, um, other than that, there's Which not much else new. <laughs> other than that, uh, you know, there's uh, there's not much else new in my world. Uh, what about you guys? Yeah, so uh, I've been spending, you know, of my air quotes here uh, and eyes rolling, um, my eight hour work day. Um, you know, I, I try to knock out a couple bits in the morning, a couple bits in the afternoon, and, and I'm pushing work along, but, you know, on base, the people there are limited. So there's not a lot getting done. But I've also been very intentional uh, about calling family each day. Uh, even my brother, who we're on really good terms, but we have this weird relationship where we talk like once or twice a month. But uh been staying in touch with him. He's up in New York City, so they're locked down pretty tight right now. Uh, and also, as most of y'all know, I'm in the Army Reserve, so spending time on the phone or Snapchat or however some of these young folks only communicate with social media. I can never get them to answer their phone, but communicating with them, just making sure folks are good. And um, noticing the stress kind of across the board. Uh, you mentioned this is okay for introverts, but I've got friends that are introverted and even the biggest introverts, they're not full on hermits. They still have some social outlets that they use every once in a while to kind of, you know, just get their fix. And most of those are closed too. So every, everybody's kind of feeling it. Uh, and then, of course, like you said, I've been spending time in uh, Discord, and I love the group that the, of regulars that we have coming through there because, yeah, we've been joking. There's jokes about the series. There's uh, the memes we throw out there about what's going on just in general in politics and with the virus and whatnot. But also different people, including myself, have reached out to the group with some issues we're dealing with, and everybody's super supportive. So. That's been a lot of fun, but also a good outlet, you know, just to talk about life in general. It's not all wheel of time we're talking about. I mean, the conversation's about anything and everything under the sun, and I, I've been loving it. So that's how I've been spending my days. Cool. Good. I think that's really great that you brought up the the fellowship that's being developed um, through the Discord. Uh, we are essentially creating our own social community, which is really necessary um, especially in times like these where we, we need outlets. There's so much you can do with the people that you have to at this point. You're forced to be around. So this gives people <clears throat> just another avenue to communicate and learn with and from other people. Um, so, it, you know, if you're not already on the Discord, and this is the pot talking to the kettles because I'm nowhere near as active as Alan and Ian are, um, but I tell you, I, I really do enjoy getting up in the morning and seeing the messages and, you know, seeing that people are having great conversations and that they are allowed to express themselves in a way that um, isn't always available. And uh, we keep it really fun and we keep it, you know, as PC as this group will allow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not 100% PC, but we do have young people on our Discord as well, so we try to be conscious of that. But, um, you know, sometimes our Tiger King uh, memes get a little out of hand. But, you know, it's, uh... <laughs> I think they're fantastic. <laughs> they, yeah. they could be good. Yeah. And then, like, on the personal level, like, the school systems, is we're really ramping up and ramping down at the same time. We're in a, just, a, again, a moment of chaos and confusion because we're trying to learn how to 
teach people what we're learning in regards to uh, online training and teaching. And then we're also trying to graduate seniors that shouldn't necessarily be graduating. And we're getting misinformation from different areas before the state will finally release a statement that completely contradicts everything that we previously heard from the principals or superintendents memo the week before. So we're, you know, literally taking everything day by day. I've pulled quite a few, you know, 11, 12 hour days, just troubleshooting for parents and things. But at the end of the day, like our students are getting the support they need uh, throughout the city with food and with uh, educational tools. And so we are doing a service and our parents are learning a lot more about what's really involved in school. It's not just going there and sitting and learning. We, you know, provide a lot for our children. So there's that. And then, you know, my, my brother works in the entertainment field. So those of you that work in entertainment know um, you're not working right now. So he's been furloughed. He works for Bush Gardens, which is a local uh, theme park. So kind of sucks. But at the same time, it's understood that, you know, people aren't able to get out to the parks. So company has to do mm-hmm. what it has to do to survive in the long run. So, you know, sure. difficult times, but we all have to be cognizant of the greater good yeah on the flip side my one of my brothers um exact opposite versus you know where a lot of people get laid off he's a doctor um so he's he's been putting in i think last week he did 120 hour work week and the week before that did 103 hour work week so if you you know do the math that's a lot of hours working um so not a lot of sleep it's not a lot of sleep. Um, he's he's pretty much around the clock, um, you know, in, in emergency mo- mode. He's in Pennsylvania. Uh, but he just still has a good sense of humor about all of it. You know, he sent me a text today uh, to me and my other brother. So we, three of us have like a little group chat, um, you know, text thing that we have going on. And um, he said in an effort to social distance more from now on, we had to refer to him as Dr. Witt. Um, (laughs) (laughs) to which my brother replied saying who's who's this i think you got the wrong number so it's uh you know we're we're working on the (laughs) on the social distancing really really well here amongst our family (laughs) hey if that sticks then he has to start calling you dark friend uh, well, no, you know, I told him he has to call me Alan Al Exotic, uh, you know, so that was yeah. <laughs> a little tiring reference there. <laughs> anyway, so um, kind of moving on to the episode. It's a great segue. Well, well, actually, before we do that, Chris, it's, it was actually your turn to do a, a, a state or country. We didn't talk about it beforehand, but if you just pick pretty much any country, we're good. If you want me to give you a rundown of states, I can do that as well, but. Um, I don't think we've got anybody from uh, South Dakota yet, have we? Uh, South Dakota? No, we do not. So I'm going to go South Dakota. Yeah, the, both North Dakota and South Dakota. But yeah, South Dakota. Let's do it. <laughs> Sioux Falls, where you're at. Um, you know, that's uh, what we're happy to have you. So predictions from last time. So a couple of predictions we had. Parents' um, eyes are going to turn yellow because he's having liver failure. Um, <laughs> from all the 151. <laughs> Yeah, along with the rest of us. Uh, Elias um, is a good person uh, because wolves like him. That was Ian's prediction. Um, Gelb is up to no good. Um, He's going to do something bad. Um, That was a prediction last time. And then the last one was that rum affects our ability to do an episode effectively. Uh, We learned that uh, (laughs) last time as well. Um, Did we, though? (laughs) Did we really? 
Well, when I went back and listened to the recording, you definitely see it progress as we get further into this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just going to fast forward to the last 20 minutes because I couldn't get like normal words out. It was bad. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, not sorry. I had a good time. It was a good time, but definitely the amount of editing I had to do went way up as I went. Like, you know, like the first segment, I think I had to do like two cuts. And the next segment, I had to do about 10 cuts. And the last thing was like 30 cuts. You know, like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> it just you know progressive so yeah rum does affect our ability to do podcast but um you know but last episode was brought to you by rum this this week brought to you by beer um <laughs> and phenomenally. <laughs> so, so yeah so uh rum, rum for later so moving on to chapter 25 the traveling people so um uh we get a symbol uh the leaf and the vine thingy um, it's the second time we've seen this symbol. Last time was the chapter called The Wisdom, where uh, Nynaeve caught up to them in Barillon. So um, that was the first time we saw that symbol. Now we see it again. So um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about it, but um, um, it's kind of a leaf. And we talk about leaves later this episode. So, Yeah, I'm curious now if there is some sort of prediction in the symbol itself. Because we have the conversation about Egwene and... Um, naive, uh, being eye sky, mm-hmm. but being super powerful. So there's two of them, but you have three, three leaved leaves, I guess, on this vine here. So who's the third? Um, I mean, is it Moraine? I doubt it. Um, maybe they run into somebody else, similar yeah. upbringing that was raised to be a wisdom, turns out super powerful. Who knows? I don't know. So maybe, maybe it's hitting that there's a, there's a third super badass woman out there. Sure. And so I kind of took it <clears throat> because before we were associating it with the wisdom, but the wisdom's not in this chapter. At all. Yep. At all. Um, we have a wannabe wisdom in this chapter, but not the wisdom in this chapter. So then I kind of took it as, well, maybe it just means peace or peaceful because we are around this new group of very peaceful individuals. Um, I'd like to know what type of plant this is because maybe it, there is something to that. Um, hmm. And so that that's kind of where my mind went was we really need to learn a little bit more about the plant itself and then we'll be able to move forward with our, our understanding. So yeah, Leave. probably a book five or six. Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> Here, here's my prediction. Leaves of three. Let it be. <laughs> it's poison right. Ivy. That's exactly what this is. And yeah. Um, yeah. so, um, so yeah, so the scene starts out, Bella's walking along. Bella's super nervous because there's wolves everywhere. Um, even though most of the time they can't see them, they're they're coming in and out of the of the picture. Um, uh, Egwene's trying to look like she's not nervous, but Perry knows she's nervous as well about these wolves falling along as Elias is walking with them. Um, and, and Perry knows exactly where the pack is at all times. So this goes back to this whole wolf talking thing. You know, we mentioned that last last episode with wolf brother that parent has the ability to and parents still denial mode like trying to like say like oh, it's, it's just you know and it's 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 so funny it's it and all these things are pointing towards yeah parent you you know the wolves are there and you know exactly where they are you can't see them like Nuh-uh. you got the ability no <laughs> so, so you get kind of like this 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 denial mode parent um and, and Elias is kind of walking ahead 
uh, kind of leading the way uh, as they as they march towards, I guess, pursuit presumably towards Cape Camelot, because uh, that's where they said they were heading last time. So, um, no, we'll start there with that whole entire entire ride. Um, I love yeah. how he says presumably, as if there could be a shift at oh, any hey. moment, and then they head elsewhere. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, at this point anything could happen. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about the scene. So, you know, Elijah's kind of lead the it way. Egwene's trying to make Elias ride the horse, and, and Elijah's like, screw you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really think it's cool, again, how they we, – we have uh, Perrin in this discussion about his mind. He said something tickled the back of Perrin's mind as he ripped free a bite of roasted rabbit, a direction, vague scent, of course. That's where they – the hot juice in his mouth abruptly lost all taste. He picked up the tubers Elias had cooked in the coals. They tasted something like turnips, but his appetite was gone. Like he really is having a really big internal struggle over his ability to sense the wolves. Um, and that kind of goes to a deeper level of how um, people in general have insecurities about who they are and accepting who they are and, what their purpose in life could or could not be. And so we're, we're here with a presumable teenager because, you know, age is kind of relative here. Um, and we're kind of seeing him come to himself. Uh, and it's just crazy to him that these strangers kind of know more about him than he knows. Sure. Yeah. So early on, uh, I pointed this out before. I like how Jordan gives us these brief interactions between characters, especially when we meet new ones. That kind of helps you understand where people stand uh, versus each other. So obviously, you have the back and forth with the horse between Perrin and Egwene, and Perrin caves because Egwene is Egwene, right? And then she tries the same thing with <laughs> Elias and my own legs are good enough for me, Elias said. Uh, besides, I don't think she wants me to ride her. And then there's a little back and forth, and then he just goes, I said no, girl, and boom, it's over. And Egwene is like, okay. So it, it's it's this brief little interaction, but it still gives us an idea like where the characters stand amongst themselves, how they feel about themselves as far as position of authority or influence. We saw this earlier with the wisdom and land and uh moraine and whatnot so every time we get a new character there's a little back and forth that just kind of sets the stage of who's leading who who's in charge and whatnot I, so it's neat sure for the, the sake of sounding a little sexist <laughs> yeah. um you know kind of synergizing a little bit i've been reading the book mere christianity and one of the chapters talks about um the interactions of men and women and essentially how at the end of the day, um, even women realize the dominance of a, a real man. Um, and they say that in the sense that, you know, a woman catering and taking care of her home may have a certain level of control over her man or the men in her life. But she always tends to um, look down upon the woman who berates or belittles her man another man like her man so like if she's watching the interactions of two neighbors and the woman in that household wears the pants 
then it's always that poor man. Look at what he has to put up with. Right. <laughs> right. And you can get, you get a whole entire argument of whether that's good or bad. And <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, Definitely, a societal, societal norms, and I mean, and we could have a whole entire, con, con, uh, you know, a side episode of conversations around modern day fem- feminism and, and pros and cons and all sorts of things like that. But you know, if you take traditional traditionalism, you know, before really 1950s, 1940s, um, at least in Western culture. Now, this is not all cultures in the entire world. It was a very, very stereotypical way that households were run. That has now changed in modern times. There's a lot of catching up to do so i think there's a lot of societal things doesn't necessarily make it right that has happened but there is some some lingering societal long long history of things so that's i'm gonna leave it at that and i'm not gonna get too much more into that that, that topic <laughs> as, as three men we don't have the proper equipment to really get too far into it so. <laughs> to the discord server <laughs> let's put it that way um so, uh, plus my wife listens sometimes. I don't want to get her mad at me. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they've been traveling, traveling for three days. Um, it mentions that southeast for three days. Um, um, parent can sense all the wolves around them. Um, and uh, one thing he notices is when he sleeps at night, the, the dreams are gone, uh, the, or at least the ones with uh, Balsam on. Uh, so he's happy about that, but there's wolves in his dreams. So I had a question mark next to that. <laughs> it said he had not had uh, he had not dreamed about Bialzaman since meeting Elias and the wolves. His dreams, as much as he remembered of them on waking, were of everyday things, just as he might have dreamed at home before Barlon, before winter night. Normal dreams, with one addition. In every dream, he remembered there was a point where he straightened from. <clears throat> excuse me master Luhan's forge to wipe the sweat from his face or turn from dancing with the village girls on the green or lifted his head from a book in front of the fireplace and whether he was outside or under a roof there was a wolf close to hand always the wolf's back was to him and always he knew in the dream it seemed the normal course of things even um at Alsbet's Luhan's dinner table. I have probably pronounced that wrong. Sorry, guys. No, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, that the wolf's eyes yellow were watching for what might come, guarding against what might come. Only when he was awake did the dream seem strange. So I, I have like split feelings about this. Um, part of me thinks that, um, and this is in the, my initial reading of this chapter, like, was there always this influence of Wolf in his life and he just never paid it attention until it's been brought to the forefront now that he's actually around the group? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is there some type of, has there always been a force drawing him that he just didn't realize and now that he's around this pack of wolves, it's become more prominent and he's actually kind of reliving some of his memories and getting a sense of this feeling that he had, had always been there before, but he never explored. And the second part of that is, is he is now with the pack. So maybe, you know, it may not be one of the wolves of the pack, but we don't know how the spirit of the wolf works. And maybe the spirit of the wolf is now protecting him from Bialzaman. And so though that wolf's back is to him, uh, if you understand anything about canines, 
when they turn their backside to you, it means that they have the utmost faith and respect for you. you. Right. And they trust you. And if they are, you know, walking in front of you, then it tends to be uh, a manner of protection. So maybe this wolf is essentially protecting his dreams and looking for what could hurt him in the dreams to ward it off. Mm. Hmm. Now, I know we talked about the dreams a couple of times when they came up. Uh, Are they real? Is it something that he's reaching out to? Is it something in the future? But one of the first times, uh, or well, the first time we talked about it, we discussed the possibility that uh, maybe it's just Belzaman reaching out to them and trying to, so that would make it a very negative thing, you know, not necessarily a prediction of the future, but being reaching out to them. Uh, and then now we have Perrin hanging mm-hmm. out with wolves who seems to be protected from that. So I think that kind of adds a little weight to these dreams not being uh, really predictive of the future or evidence of something in the past, but more this evil being, Balzaman, reaching out to them and trying to influence them in some way. Yeah, could be. Um, I guess we'll find out, right? <laughs> yeah one day (laughs) one one day um so after three days you know they've been traveling they come to this uh grouping of trees and also three mastiffs um large dogs come running out barking um and mastiffs are big dogs i mean i i've my uncle actually bred mastiffs for a while so um, i remember as a kid when i was a kid they were gigantic it was adult they're they're big dogs um and uh, Elias immediately, you know, well, Perrin reacts immediately, you know, put up a sling. Elias tells him to calm down and does this whistle thing and calms the dogs down and um, and they start just panting. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we had that whole scene with the, with the dogs and, and it kind of goes right into the next scene where, uh, you know, he, you know, Elias suggests they, they travel around the trees, even though it's almost nightfall and, and I think it's a Gwen or Parent, I can't remember which one asked why why not just go into the trees? And they said, Because there's Tawatha on here. Um Tawatha Tawatha on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh and they like, what's that? Traveling people, tinkers. And they know what tinkers means. So let's start with the reaction there. And um and I I don't know if we mentioned tinkers when they're leaving, but we might have mentioned tinkers before, just in passing. Like it might have been just one quick line earlier. As a group of people, but I don't remember. But now we yeah, learn a lot. In the first it. couple of chapters, we definitely mentioned the Tinkers because sure. it was mentioned, you know, that they were a group of people, and it stated again that we're good at repairing things. Sure, we stayed in one spot, so we kind of assimilated them to like gypsies, essentially. Sure, yeah, and that's where my mind continues with them. I think it's really cool. Um, that they call them the traveling people. I think that's just a really interesting name because it's a really good descriptor of what their lifestyle is going to be like. And um, the fact that they have these dogs that quote unquote look meaner than they are, they're meant to frighten us off and they wouldn't have bitten us unless we tried to go into the trees. It kind of describes the people before you even meet them because dogs tend to be a reflection of their owner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, they they seem to be very good guard dogs, but pretty much harmless. So I was really interested right. to see the, what we were going to learn about the people that bred these animals. 
Right. And you get a little of their first reaction about the Tinkers. I mean, Egwene speaks it right away. Like, you know, Tinkers, you know, they're, they're just thieves. And, you know, they steal stuff. And, and Elias breaks in and says, well, they don't steal any more than anybody else does. Uh, you know, you, you, you bet. Uh, and he kind of sarcastically says, you know, I bet you think they steal babies too, don't you? Um, you know, and, 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 you know, there's all these stories about Tinkers. And he's like, oh, those are mostly false. Like, they're just, they're not bad people. Um she said so, the the Terran the Terran fairy folk uh, are as great great thieves as tinkers. They uh, no doubt end up stealing each other blind. So they're <laughs> essentially comparing the two people. Um, but she said, Master Elias, that they really are tinkers close by. Shouldn't we be going on? We don't want Bella stolen. Like her her thought was they're going to steal the dang on horse. And then he said the whole like including infants, kidnapped children, and all of that. And she, she blushed. So clearly, he really called her out, and she realized she didn't have that good a sense of them. So. Sure. And you get a description. So we walk into the forest. We get a description of the Tinkers. So they have all these, like, wagons everywhere, and they're wearing all these crazy colors that don't match. You know, kind of this bright folk that don't really care about how they dress, it looks like. And you get the greeting, you know, when um, obviously Elias, Elias has met Tinkers before. That's very evident right away because uh, they have this whole greeting about the song. So, <laughs> yeah. It says, your, welc- your welcome warms my spirit, Mahadi, as your fire warms the flesh. But I did not know the song or do not know the song. And mm-hmm. it says, then we seek still the gray-haired man in tone. As it was, so shall it be, if we but remember, seek and find. He swept his arm toward the fire with a smile, and his voice took on a cheerful lightness. The meal is almost ready. Join us, please. So Sure. I kind of wish Matt... You know, it was a little bit of a show. I wish Matt was here, because Matt would have chimed in that, uh, well, he doesn't know the song, he does know the tribute, and then he would start rocking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the black tower podcast has a whole entire thing about how the song is actually uh, a sandstorm by darude uh that te- techno yes. song uh, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> so, anyway. anyway so you have this tinker greeting um and they join him for dinner and elias kind of explains to them a little about it so it's you know i think a gwen or parent asks is his name Madi? and no his name's rain Madi's his title and it means seeker um and it was like a secret of the song and they're searching for the song and no one really knows what that means. Uh, they don't even think, you know, no one even knows what they're looking for really, but they're just kind of wandering around <laughs> looking for, for this magical song and you meet Ela, Ela, which is uh Rand's, uh, rain rain's wife. Um, so you get this little scene, you know, they're this elderly couple and they're, they're talking. And then all of a sudden this, this young guy comes in Aram and it kind of gives you a description of Aram. So, uh, before we get into the way of the leaf, what are your initial thoughts of Aram when Aram comes into the, the picture? Not a fan. <laughs> Coming come trying to scoop up okay. uh, Egwene. Um, I would have thought Heron would have done more. I mean, these are still strangers. And they had all these preconceived notions mm-hmm. about who Tinkers are. And I find it hard to believe that you know, just a lie saying, oh, you don't believe everything you hear, blah, blah, blah. They, they steal as much as everybody else. And then Perrin, of all people, just going, oh, yeah, no big deal. We can trust them. 
So, like, I, I kind of expected him to stick up for yeah. a bit more. That and, like, um, you know, in my military years, when I was stationed in Germany, I was a single soldier then, and we would travel all over the place. And we would travel with females from our unit sometimes also. And there were females that I personally had no interest in. There was no romantic, nothing like that. But you still looked out for them. Like, there was no letting them get out of eyesight just because around strange folks, you you don't trust what might happen, right? So yeah, very, very surprised right. that Perrin let this interaction carry on and go as far as it did. Sure. Well, I, th- I think it was like a s- false sense of security on his part too, though, because he said that um, Aram reminded him of Will Alcine um, and that she had never allowed Will to get the best of her, even though Will courted every girl in sight and managed to convince every one of them that he was just being polite to all the others, but mm-hmm. he never was able to like hook up with Egwene. So, yeah. you know, he had his understanding of who this guy was. He assumed he knew how Egwene would react, but he didn't take into account that current situations has changed her behavioral patterns, even though they haven't changed his. So it kind of speaks to his stubbornness um, and his unwillingness to change. We kind of see that as a recurring theme. Like, and I'm sure that's going to be part of his um, character is this unwillingness to shift as situations arise, which keep him grounded, but at the same time also keep him a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ignorant. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, from the reader perspective, I think Egwene can hold her own. I don't even think we've seen the tip of the iceberg and what she can do. So do I think she could take care of herself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just thinking a little bit from parents' perspective. It, I don't know. I just thought so far sure. what I know about him and his character, I thought maybe he would have taken more of that protective role of her. Sure. And then, you know, so Egwene leaves, and then, you know, uh, Rain starts, to, Rain and Elod, the husband and wife, um, the grandparents of Aram, start to tell Perrin about the way of the leaf. And I guess Egwene's still there too. So it's before Egwene leaves. It's just all of them are kind of hanging around and um, explains this, this way that the tinkers practice their life, which is this super hippie, um, you know, like super peaceful, do no harm at all costs, super pacifist. And I, I, I wrote down in my notes, extreme passes, pacifism. So, uh, you know. Yeah, um, it, it was Aram that started the conversation. He said, um, the leaf lives its appointed time and does not struggle against the wind that carries it away. The leaf does not harm and finally falls to nourish new leaves. So it should be with all men and women. And it like causes her to blush. And then parents just like, but what does that mean? Like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and then Elias <laughs> chimes in. He's like, it means that no man should harm another for any reason whatsoever. So mm-hmm. the seeker's eyes flicker to Elias. There's no um, no excuse for violence. None, not ever. So right. I guess that was actually the seeker that said that. Excuse me. Sure. Yeah, the seeker does. Rain, Rain says that. And, uh, you know, Perrin kind of argues a little bit about it. And, you know, I think Rain says something like, well, violence harms the person just as much as the person who does, you know, harms the person who does the violence gets harmed just as much as the person who received really it, or right. not just as much, but gets harmed. 
Yeah, no. Let me just say here. As a soldier. <laughs> I am I am reminded on this holy day of the sad story of Kitty Genovese. As you may all remember, long time ago, almost 30 years ago, this poor soul cried out for help time and time again, but no person answered her calls. Though many saw, no one so much as called the police. They all just watched as Kitty was being stabbed to death in broad daylight. They watched as her assailant walked away. Now, we must all fear evil men. There is another kind of evil, which we must fear most, and that is the indifference of good men. I think, first of all, Boondock Saints is a fantastic movie. Secondly, pacifism yep. at this level <laughs> is dangerous. I would not associate with them. If, if this whole group of folks thinks this way, sure. I've already written them off as any type of possible good alliance. They just need to move on. <laughs> yeah. Dead weight. <laughs> so, next chapter, you guys ready? All right. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're not yeah, quite yeah. done yet. There's still some nuggets of information sure. we get from here. So, so yeah. So, uh, um, uh, yeah. Obviously, Perrin and her ram don't like each other right away. But Egwene goes off the ram to dance, and as the uh, as the night music kind of picks up, and I think um, you know Elias and Rain start talking, and Perrin's listening in. And you start to hear this story um, about crossing the waste. Um, so we've heard of the waste before, the the the, the wastelands of the I, where the Aiel are from. We talked about in previous chapters, um, the savages, you know, and things like that. But now we're getting. I, I love how Robert Jordan does this. He doesn't just flat out like tell you about a culture and say like, "Here's everything about the culture." It's it's bled out very slowly with little snippets over the course of like time. So. You learn a little bit more this time, then a little bit more next time. It's still like this big question, like who are these people? But you know, we learn a lot, lot right here at this interaction. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, one thing that we learn right away is that the that the tinkers can cross the waste. Um, they're allowed to. And, and Rain's telling about a story about another band of tinkers that was crossing two years earlier, and they encountered some maidens of the spears. We learned about that group. So within the Aiel, the women fight too. Um, they're called far da, far da, far which are um, which in the old tongue means maidens of the spear, um, and they were going to the blight to uh, attack Trollocs and things like that. And Trollocs followed them back, which was unheard of as well, and killed all the maidens except for uh, you know one that was almost dead and crawled their way to the Tinker Wagons, which was unheard of because usually they never talk to Tinkers to deliver a message. Um, and, and they're trying to figure out the motive behind this because. Obviously, the tink- if, if none of the Aiel ever talk to the Tinkers and avoid them at all costs, giving a message to the Tinkers is not going to it's not going to get to other Aiel. Like that message is not going to be carried to other Aiel because they're not going to interact with other Aiel. So, it you know it's a very cryptic message. So I just want to kind of stop there and talk about this whole scene. What you guys think about so far with Aiel and the maze of the spear and this message and uh, let's let's just talk about unpack this. Well, it says her loathing outweighed her pain, but she had a message so important that her, to her that she must pass it on to someone, even us, before she died. Men went to see if they could help any of the others. There was a trail of her blood to follow, but all were dead. So were three times the number of Trollocs. So like these women were on point. Like they were 
warrior women, which I want to go backwards and say that I think Rand is probably an ideal. I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Official official prediction still going on? Yeah. Official prediction. Like Rand is, is, you know, at least half, if not entirely, ideal. Um, and that his mother was an was a warrior, um, but you know we get a hundred miles into the waste impossible um, is what Elias is saying. He's like, there's no way that Trollocs going to be that far into the waste, the dying ground. They wouldn't go a hundred miles into the waste, even if all the Midral and the Blight were driving them. So Elias has a really good understanding of the. Um, of excuse me of the Trollocs and of the Fades and he has just like this knowledge of them that I'm like how does he know so much it really makes me question what his background and what his story really is I know we kind of went into that last um, conversation we had but I really want to know a little bit more about him and then um, they're asked to go on to the story with the story and essentially she said Leaf blighter means to blind the eye of the world, lost one. He means to slay the great serpent, warn the people, lost one. Sight burner comes, tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn, tell them. I think it's very interesting that this message is now being delivered to Perrin, who is one of the three who Rosamond mm-hmm. is after. And we we also learned right here that light, leaf blinder and sight burner are 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 nicknames for the dark one in the Aiel culture. So, you know, the the dark one means to blind the eye of the world. You know, he means you know he's coming. Um, but there's also this other person, he who comes with the dawn. You know, look, you know, stand ready for him. <laughs> so, <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> I don't know. I- I there there's like... I had a brief moment uh, of um what was the part of Lord of the Rings where uh, Gandalf was like you know look to the and I'm gonna mess up the direction someone will blab about it is like look look to the east look to the east on blah 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 and just when the battle's almost lost your son comes up and Gandalf comes in and they whoop up yeah. so not that it's totally related but <laughs> he who comes with the dawn that's sure that popped in my head yeah see now I. I've... Throughout the book, maybe I've just not made connections very well, but like the eye of the world was kind of like a power that was being manipulated by the dark one. Mm-hmm. But now this is almost like a direct contradiction of that understanding. Sure. So yes, because there's a question of what is the eye of the world? I mean, so we've heard, you know, the eye of the world will never serve you is what the dark one have said before. And then, Leaf blinder means to blind the eye of the world, means to slay the great serpent. We've also heard them say, I think it was last chapter, that will strangle you with the great serpent. Um, <laughs> you know, so there's lots of these things going on. So, so I'm like confused to say yeah. the least. <laughs> I mean, I, okay. I mean, trying to unpack this isn't even fair because there's so much and so little into it. So sure. much that we don't understand it so little because. It's literally just a few lines on the page. But if I were to really get into this, maybe 
I, maybe it's talking when we look at the symbol of the serpent, the serpent's biting its own tail. So mm-hmm. essentially it's, it's in representation of infinity being that there's no beginning and no end. So, you know, he wants to slay the great serpent, meaning he wants to kind of end the continuum that is time. Sure. It's like, why, what, what purpose does that serve? If you're ending time, then aren't you essentially ending everything or are you like, mm-hmm. I, my mind is like going and stopping at the same time, which is kind of interesting for me. Um, but then to blind the eye of the world, like I need to know what the eye of the world is now. Like, sure, I, I, it's the name of this book. <laughs> but like, is the eye of the world like the sun? Is he? Is like, are we talking about like? is there something about maybe like a solar eclipse that's going to be important or I don't know. My mind goes in way too many different directions for me to really come to one thing, but (laughs) I definitely believe that he's going to try to attempt to stop time from moving. Um, What purpose that serves? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn. Um, I mean, Don is a representation of a new age. So maybe the idea of slaying the great serpent means to end this current age and go into the next. And maybe Bialzaman's coming is a representation of coming with the Don, or maybe the dragon will arise again and he will be the one coming with the Don. Like a new age is coming and they need to be ready for that. Sure. So that line. Uh, I didn't. I didn't come up with any answers. Obviously, the same as you. A lot of questions, but that's the line I kept harping on. I have underlined. Tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn. So, leaf blighter, bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, sight burner, bad guy. But I didn't associate he who comes with the dawn. It doesn't say get him ready to stand against or to fight. It says ready for he who sure. comes with the dawn. So maybe to stand with and fight with this person. Sure. All right. So what is Dawn? Is it literal? Doubtful. Jordan's not that obvious. He's going to mess with us. Um, but Dawn, you know, just when light starts creeping up. So what else do we have we read about so far that might represent the Dawn? Uh, Egwene is mm-hmm. just now starting to tap into her powers. And she is just now starting to rise in according to brain could be this potential all-powerful Aes Sedai, right? Uh, and right. if she ends up ditching this loser she just met and then hooks back up with Rand, and it's Rand and Egwene, and this is our dynamic duo that's going to save the day, then Rand might be the he they're talking about, and everybody needs to get ready to hop on board with this guy. I don't know. Sure. That's all I got. I, I like that, but I think it's yeah, too I easy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, we we still have, we have fourteen books to write, right? So we have to keep it a little complicated, right? <laughs> all right. So yeah, so the keep the they obviously she's trying to go on with her warning message, but she dies before she can get things out. And, and Rand thinks that Elias might know something um, because he says he calls Elias something, but cuts off. Elias cuts him off before he can finish his thought. I don't know if you guys caught that. Because uh, Parent thinks about it too. Like, what was what was Rain about to say to Elias? Um, 
I don't know if you have speculation or caught it or. He said, I thought perhaps we would find the answer at last since you were. And Elias made a quick motion with his hand and Rain changed what he was going to say. Are a friend and know many strange things. That was in regards to when I saw you walk. Um, she knew what she was saying and to whom she was saying it. Something more important to her than her own life. And we could not even understand it. When I saw sure. you walking into our camp and then that, that statement. So I, I'm wondering, like, so we've got men. Right. So what, 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 what was he about to call Elias? Well, Elias obviously stopped him from saying it. He says, because you are a, and then stops. Because Elias cuts him off. Like, don't, don't, don't. Since you were. He didn't say are. Yeah, because so, you were a. And we know Elias does not like the Aes Sedai, but then they all, because the Aes Sedai tried to temper him, well, maybe, you know, maybe he fell in with the Aes Sedai. Maybe he did get some formal training. Maybe he decided that wasn't the way he wanted to go. Sure. Huh. So maybe he is like classically trained and decided that he didn't want to sing that tune. <laughs> You know, went country. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, so there is that thought there. Into it like that, but I guess that makes more sense. Uh, I, I was thinking. I just had the feeling that Elias used to be a tinker, or at least traveled with them, and then some, some, something happened where he moved on. Whether it was just the issue with the wolves or what, Mm -hmm. but he he had a run in with violence that the tinkers just wouldn't keep him as one of his own because obviously he was down with Dyson sure. and then we you know his his stories about sure. uh what didn't he didn't he say he took out some orders yeah, yeah. he did so yes obviously he did last, yeah history and whatnot so obviously the the tinkers wouldn't keep mm-hmm. him along if if he was in fact once one so let's shake him up a little bit more yeah. i agree with you i feel like maybe he was a tinker and then he was addressed by Aes Sedai. And he went with them. He started to receive training, decided that wasn't his way, and they don't just let you go. Mm. Mm. So in order to get away, he had to get rid of some warders. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, we will see. Let's put that one. Um, (laughs) So, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so parents kind of thinking about this and Egwene comes back, she's singing to herself and, and, you know, um, uh, parents just give her a hard time about it. And then she just kind of breaks down crying, um, saying, you know, what, you know, tell me they're alive. Tell me, you know, they're all safe. And, um, that's kind of where we, where we end this chapter. Um, you know, right after that, um, you know, parent, we ended with parent going to sleep. This is kind of like the final real scene of, of, of parent kind of calming down a rain. Or ca- ca- calming down Egwene, um, and then and then Perrin hears the wolves howl, howl and, and the wolves are waiting for him in his dreams. So, final scenes. Any thoughts? He did get a kiss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to point that out. That's my boy. Like he got his kiss. <laughs> it was only a kiss. It was only a kiss. <laughs> Started out with a kiss. How did it end up? Sorry, I'm just (laughs) the bright side. (laughs) Remember, words are important. She brushed a kiss across his cheek. So, like, she didn't. She didn't plant one on him. It was. It was just a little, you know, 
and I look at it more as a friendly thing because you know, like I don't know. I mean, at least I don't have any women just friendly kissing oh. me, but <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just me. I don't know. Uh, I thought. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I know growing up, like, and, and this might be just culture and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I knew, like, so take this back. I mean, I, I'm not going to get too much of my backstory, but growing up in, in, in public school, yeah, that would be pretty rare um, amongst most of my public school friends to have those kind of interactions. But then during the summer, Ian, Ian and I both worked as lifeguards at the country club. Um, with with very you know well off people lifeguarding at pools and kissing on cheeks is very very common way that the I'd say the wealthy greet friends. It's strange. It's Italian, uh, but they're not all Italian. But like you know that's that it's very common. Like that you would you know if you met a friend that was a private school friend, you know that you you know greet by giving each other light kisses on the cheek. That's that's yeah. that was normal. But um, but looking at that at high school, I would have school. That was not normal there. Yeah. It would have been weird there, but it wasn't weird that other – just different cultures. So, yeah. So, I guess it depends yeah. on which way you look at it because um, I've seen it both ways. Or it's it's weird if you don't. <laughs> it's weird if you do. So, <laughs> well, I, won't, um, I won't take away uh, from it. Good job, Perrin. Well done. Yeah. No, well <laughs> so, before we move on, any final thoughts or anything else uh, from this chapter? Anything we missed? Nope. I think we did a good job. All right, moving on to chapter 26, White Bridge. So we're going to go ahead and start again with the harp, which uh, we've seen that symbol, of, obviously, a couple of times now. The Glee Man, and then we saw it again on uh, another chapter a couple of chapters ago with the Glee Man. So we know what the harp represents. Um, it's, it's the Glee Man symbol, um, Tom. Um, and, you know, we're, we're back into this perspective. So we're now away from Perrin and Egwene and shifting gears again back onto the spray. Um, so it starts out the, the boat moving slowly. It's going into the wind. And I put a note here that just, just once again, I know it's only one line in the book, but for anyone who doesn't sail, uh, I have to add these things in because we're sailors. Um, you know, they're talking about the sweeps, which is, which is what they use for oars. So that's the term they're using for oars. Whenever they're talking about the sweeps going out, those are the, you know, the, the rowers. So you're thinking about a sail ship that has a bunch of rowers, like kind of it was like a Viking ship. Or something like that. So you know, obviously these, these ships are are set up to row as well. Um, so the wind's coming directly at their nose. Uh, they're going into the wind, and you can't sail into the wind. Um, now, if you go, also if you're going down a river, you can assume the river's pretty narrow. Um, so it's probably more beneficial to to row and let the current take you if you're going down river. If the wind's against you, than it is to try to sail. Um, yeah. Um, even the most efficient boats can probably only sail probably about 28 degrees off the wind, um, which is a really, really fast race boat. Um, these cargo ship type boats and, and judging by like the times would not be able to get anywhere close to that. Um, yeah. If at all close to the wind. Um, um, They're probably set know. to do strictly downwind or like a little bit of a reach. And other than that, you, you ride the current or row. A row, yeah. Um, if they had triangle sails, then yeah, you could go upwind. Um, with square sails, you cannot go upwind. You can only go downwind. Um, so you look at the old like Christopher Columbus boats and everything like that, they had square sails. Um, they would go um, – you would have to move the boat down to what's called the trade winds, 
So there are different parts. They're called the trade winds. That's where the trade boats would, would sail across the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean. Um, there's certain latitudes where the wind blows from the exact same direction all year round. Every 365 days a year, pretty all consistent. It blows at 20 knots, uh, nautical miles an hour um, from the exact same direction, 365 days a year. Um, they call the trade winds. So there's certain uh, uh, explorers found that out really early on. They were able to sail the entire world with square, square sails because you could sail downwind around the entire world. Um, but uh, triangle sails allow you to sail upwind. Uh, but I'm not going to get into physics because I will take an entire episode just to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I could go into that. But but just for the sake of what's going on here, they're rowing because they're going against the wind. So um, and, and Tom's on deck. He's playing. Uh, he's teaching them. Matt's playing the flute horribly, and everybody's covering their ears. <laughs> um, Favorite line yeah. of the chapter, I suppose. Yeah. I should thank you, Tom murmured finally for teaching me how true the old saying is teach him how you will a pig will never play the flute (laughs) (laughs) i think that's awesome because i actually played the flute at one point so (laughs) (laughs) it looks easier than what it actually is trust me yeah and i think matt makes a remark he's like why you even teach us anyway you know this is just for show like why do you even care and Tom says, you know, what happens if we don't find the others? You know, at least learn a craft or something. Um, you know, do, do something, you know, we'll have to do something for a while if we can't find the others. So, yeah, but this, you know, the this charade. Little, this little interaction, uh, I I can't, I still can't get a fix on Tom, but this interaction just shows the skill that he has with the smoke and mirrors. Like we we heard the story that, you know, he told the boat captain at first that just had Randy Matt's jaw dropping. And then you start to think mm-hmm. how hard he's selling this and for what purpose. Uh, makes It makes you question how much of anything that he's told these guys is actually true. Or is it all smoking yep. for some other purpose? So... So you're starting to, uh, to get a little bit uh, suspicious of Tom now? Oh, uh, I... Apparently, I get suspicious <laughs> of everybody at some point. But, um, I still, overall, in the big picture, I got good vibes from him, but there's there's a lot he's not telling us. There's a bigger picture that he sees that he's not sharing, I feel. Sure. So I think he's seen and lived through so many false dragons and Aes Sedai searches that he's just like trying to help these boys prepare for a different life in the event that things don't pan out the way they think it's going to. I think he's almost hopeful that things are not going to pan out the way that they say they are because, you know, that would just mean a war, a real war versus all these fake wars that keep popping up because he's even kind of like alluded to or made that comment. Like there's always all these fake dragons popping up and the die are always after people. Like, he is very skeptical of all of it. So then he's trying to equip the boys with, here's some skills you can use that can progress you. And if you're actually any good at it, if you have an aptitude for it, then maybe I can actually take you on and teach you the skills. So he's also looking for real apprentice to kind of pass his trade along to. Sure. And, and you know Matt's being super gloomy too at this point. But then right as they're having this interaction, somebody yells out "White Bridge ahead." Um, so we actually get the first description of White Bridge, uh, which is pretty 
breathtaking. Um, the way they describe it, at least in the book, I, I'm hoping they – I'm sure it's going to be CGI, but in the show, it just looks like something magical. <laughs> like, like, I mean, but yeah, so, so I mean, talk about the description of this, um, uh, th- this bridge. Um, he said the white bridge arched high over the wide waters, twice as high as the sprays massed and more, and from end to end it gleamed a milky white in the sunlight, gathering the light until it seemed to glow. Spidery piers of the same stuff plunged into the strong currents, appearing too frail to support the weight and width of the bridge. It looked all of one piece, as if it had been carved from a single stone or molded by a giant's hand, broad and tall, leaping the rivers with an airy grace that almost made the eye forget its size. All in all, it dwarfed the town that sprawled about its foot on the east bank. Though White Bridge mm-hmm. was large by far than Edmonds Field, the house of stone and bricks as saw those in Terran Field and wooden docks, like thin fingers sticking out in the river, small boats dotted. So they, they, he continues to go along and and describe the town, but mm-hmm. you know, we talked about the size of the mass of the spray, and I think we had assumed maybe somewhere near eighty feet. Was that what we had between yeah. eighty and one hundred and one hundred and twenty feet? Yeah, yeah, somewhere so we talking about one hundred and sixty to two hundred and forty feet in the air, like right. this huge massive bridge, right. <laughs> Oh, and the, the way the imagery you can you can really see just this masher sure. white stat, like bridge that like in my mind and, literally maybe giants did cross at one point. Like we haven't really talked about all mm-hmm. the the people or all the creatures that are in this novel yet. It's like we just kind of touched the tip of the iceberg. Like what's coming next is my question. Sure. And, and it looks kind of like almost glass and they describe it as lace because Bill Doman goes into that because he overhears them kind of gasp and talk about it. That it looks like almost like glass lace, but it's not even a, in the in rain. It's not slippery. And even the, the strongest sword can't break it. So it's not made of glass, but it has that look of like a white glass. But yeah. Just really cool looking in my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. The way the, yeah. the way I picture it. Um and, and, and then assumed to be from the age of legends, like that's right. Uh, yeah, ancient, old, super old. Sure. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't know if you caught this, but when Rand's looking at it, there's something strange that happens across it too. And it's one line, it's really fast, and doesn't even think about it. But um, I don't know if you that. a shadow rippled through the milky white structure. Yeah. So, what do you guys think that is? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think like, we find out. We find out later this chapter. Yes, <laughs> a fade crossing over. <laughs> sure. So yeah. Um, so you know they come up and the uh, you know the the ship pulls up to the docks. Uh, they throw bags of wool over the side. There's the bumpers. Um, we use them on modern boats too, but not wool, but rubber. Um, um, and and then the merchants all line up on the docks and 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 as soon as they greet these merchants, Bill Doman you know cuts off the merchants and yells at Gelb to get off a ship. Um, you know I've seen enough of you. You're done. 
you're fired. <laughs> He's like, choose your own side, the dock of the river, put off my vessel now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Rand's kind of looking at the dock too, just seeing if he sees any of his companions, you know, it doesn't see any of them. Um, you know, but he's he's searching for them, and this is this is where Bale Doman turns to them and um, reimburses their money, but also offers them to to ride all the way down to Ilion. Um, uh, that the uh, get a couple things here. I think they says the 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 hunt has been called down there, and that um I, I think that's what they. And that's not so later. That's until we get to the the end. <laughs> it's still the same chapter. I'm not getting too much away, but uh, it, but offers them to go to Ilion. Um. And he does, and it's it's not that far down. Like you, you, there's that portion where you have um, Rand, who's like, "We're here," and there was no mutiny, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, and then you have our uh, Captain Doma, who um, he said, "You be leaving now, Gleeman. Can I not talk you into continuing on?" I be going all the way to Ilion, where folk have proper regard for Gleeman. There be no finer place in the world for your art. So he he's really talking him up, but I think it's because he realized the only reason why there was no real mutiny is because the Gleeman did him a huge service, and that's why he returned all of the coins and then some. Sure, you are so trusting of people in this book, and I love it. That's what I love about you. But I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> Like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, why? I mean, I, I, we talked before, like, the most precious thing to this boat captain is his boat. The crew, he just demonstrated, if somebody ain't acting right, he'll boot him and get somebody else. So how concerned was he? Maybe he was concerned about them getting down there and they're not being a mutiny, but they're there. So why reimburse them now? Like, I, I mean, my conspiracy mind, I, I'm thinking – Tom is working deals when the, the other boys aren't listening, like uh, maybe paying the captain, be like, hey, I just, you know, uh, give us give us some of this money back and then try and convince us to come back on board because I'm going to try and convince these boys to go and not go to Tarvalon. Like, and uh, like part of his smoke and mirrors package. I don't know. I, I was very skeptical <laughs> of the 180 by yeah. the boat captain and something like that I just feel wouldn't happen just because he was a good glee. Like, there, there's someone but, pulling strings there. Bill Domus, he might just be a nice guy, right? <laughs> How many old, salty boat captains do you know <laughs> that are just nice? Like, they'll give you free beer, but you're going to work for it, you know? Like, sure. So it's not free beer. It's, yeah. It struck me as very sure. odd. I don't know where it's going to go, okay. but it was odd. Sure. And Rand cuts him off and says no. Um, Tom's really hesitant. You know, he. I think Tom wants to continue down to Iliad, but Rand and Matt both chime in. Nope, nope. We're here to meet our friends. We're leaving. We're going into Whitebridge, and we get a description of the actual city too as they leave the they leave the boat, um, um, as they're traveling through uh, Whitebridge on the way to to their to the inn. So I don't know if you want to go to the description of that. It kind of looks like a normal town to me, but um, I don't know if you guys picked anything out there. I don't want to get really excited because I feel like every time we hit a new town, a new town, it's like slightly more grand than the last. Like, I don't know. Right. We get old after a while. We got to mix it up some. Sure. <laughs> well, this one's not as grand as Barillon or Shadow Logoth. I mean, this is like you said, it's more like yeah. Taran Ferry. It's not. It's not. It's just a regular town. 
but they get to it. They get to the end. The Wayfarers Rest is the name of the inn that they stop at. Um, and they go in and they, they meet the innkeeper, uh, Master. It's a Bartram. Bartram. Uh, I think it's Bartram. Yeah. Um, and they want some place private to talk. And there's a wall in the middle of the of the of the calling room, uh, the kind of the bar area. And they put them on the other side of the room. Um, and, and, and Tom goes into the strategy and why he picked the inn. Says, well, if anybody passed through here. They had to walk past his head and people talk. And, you know, when they go into inns, that's especially where people talk because they're drinking. It's like going to, you know, it goes back to Ian's whole thing when you're, when you're trying to gather intelligence somewhere, um, you know, uh, going into like the local tavern or bar. It's where people talk. It's where you find everything. <laughs> yeah. And especially if they have a couple of drinks, they're going to start running their mouths. Well, we see that in a little bit with our sailor mm-hmm. that got booted. He's just sitting there sure. running his mouth. So when you think about right. it, everybody that's coming from whatever they were doing that day, if something exciting happened, they're going to want to tell the right. story and be the center of attention. So good, good place to uh, Sure. And, and Tom's first one is we asked the, you know, the innkeeper, he says, what's, what's the news going around? He says, oh, there's plenty of news. You know, Logan <laughs> has been captured. Logan. Yeah. yeah. I was actually yeah, going to mention that. It says that, uh, it said Logan has been captured. And of course, supporters of Logan, of course, are like scattering about. No, no, you won't find many that would admit it. Not now. Just refugees trying to find a place during the troubles. So clearly, there are a lot of people coming in and out of town. So because that was really the initial questions, like the the first questions, like, do you know if there's any weird people coming through town? And it's like, well, don't you know what's going on? So yeah, um, um, you know, obviously, Logan's one of the one of the, one of the stories going through, but then he also brings in another story that's going on. So the hunt has been called. I know I already alluded to that, but the hunt's been called in Elion for the horn. So um, that's kind of big news as well. And um, Tom gets kind of excited to think about that. So, okay, so that would be something to make a story of a story they tell for a thousand years. I wish I had been there. In regards mm-hmm. to the the capture of Loghain, um, sure. But then he goes on, and he's just talking about the proclamation. He said, "What did mm-hmm. the proclamation say?" So, why the hunt of the horn? Of course, didn't I say that the Ilioners are calling on everybody, uh, as will swear their lives to go on the hunt. So, like, there's a lot of excitement around the horn, and of course, we still don't really mm-hmm. know the importance of the horn sure but <laughs> tom kind of recites the the um story of the horn to himself so you can tell it's something that he's really into and then you have the innkeeper that's like that's it that's it the gr- mm-hmm. uh, great hunt of the horn you tell that one and they'll be hanging from the rafters in here so he's like trying to talk tom into sticking around so that's just just an interesting back and forth you can see there's a little bit of desperation yeah on the side of the, uh, the barkeep or, you know. Yeah. And then, and then go ahead. The way, the way he says it though, um, it's not like he just stands up and starts reciting a section from, uh, the great hunt of the horn. It's kind of to himself in a soft voice. The gleeman began to recite to himself. It says it almost mumbling to himself. So to him, maybe the story isn't just a story for entertainment purposes. I mean, it's, it's a, a prophecy, a, fact. A, a, treasure, a treasure map, a fact. You know, there's parts of it yet to be fulfilled. 
Um, and he's definitely invested in it, you know. Uh, at least that's the way I took it, the way he recited it. Sure. And then Rand pipes up, you know, kind of saying, well, you know, I, we have friends we're looking for and starts trying to – and once he starts in, Tom cuts him off. I think Tom's six. Tom said I was going to do the talking. Um, and the innkeeper automatically starts to get a little suspicious about all this. You can tell his mood shifts a little bit. And Tom goes and describes the friends are looking for. The innkeeper just cuts him off and says, all right, get, finish your drinks and get out. And they're like, <laughs> what, what? I was going to reform here. What's going on? And they're like, they're like, other people have been asking about these same people too. And he goes, actually, you know, now I think about it, you're the people they're asking about too. So um, he says, well, you know, who, who, who asked about it? And he said, well, first was a, was this crazy guy that came in town. Well, um, his first description was a Weasley fellow. So who was this? Peddler. Yeah, Our peddler. Parent this guy will not die. Like, <laughs> how did the Trollocs not kill him? Why didn't he drown in the river? Parent Fane. Between him Pat and, and or Pat and Fane. Yeah, what a, a parent. Pat and Fane. Yeah. I swear Pat I'm not drinking rum tonight. Yeah, one guy. Yeah. So you think it's Patton? You think it's Fane? Oh, yeah. He's going to be the end of somebody. He said Weasley. <laughs> if he'd have used any other word, but he said Weasley, so I don't know who sure. else he could be. I think it just might be some random dark fan too. Uh, you know, they mentioned that, but yeah. So, so, and then also another person came and asked about him as well uh, with a cloak that was pulled down. They never saw his face and had, you know, his voice sounded like snakes through leaves. So I think we know what that is. I think it even mentions it's a fade. Yeah. It's a fade. Uh, that's um, asking about, about them um, looking, especially for three country boys. Um, so, it, that's kind of freaky that a fade's actually coming to town and asking asking about him too. Like, and they're and he's like, I want the innkeeper's like, I want none of that. I don't want him to know that I've seen anything that even reminds me of that. I, I want you guys gone. Finish your drinks and get out. Um, <laughs> you know, and um, and, and Tom kind of urges him, saying like, All right, we have to get out of here now. Um, let's go ahead and go back to the ship and go to the Iliad because you know that's the last thing to expect. But Rand and Matt refuse still. Uh, Matt actually gets kind of angry about this. So I don't know if you want to go that far. But um, yeah, Matt, Matt and Rand are saying no. Then Matt actually ends up clutching his dagger about it. Yeah, there's, there's something um, um, kind of my precious-ish to this dagger. And I think obviously wearing on Matt. So I don't know if mm-hmm. he's acting how he normally would. Um, I, I just get the feeling bit by bit that it's it's wearing on him some, so that that might affect the way he's lashing out. Sure, and and as this is happening, they over here on the other side of the wall, Gelb's over there, uh, Florin Gelb, <laughs> um, and he's telling them about Trollocs and blah, blah, and yeah, you know, they're all like Trollocs don't exist, you know, the Trollocs are all killed the Trolloc wars, you know, they, the yeah, you know, it, it, it's something that down south people don't even believe that they even exist anymore um so i thought that was pretty funny um and and gelb names them as dark friends so he said there's three people that came on my boat they're dark friends and and tom realizes right away this is not a good situation gelb's going blab in his mouth it's not gonna take long for people to two and two together that they're talking about hit them yeah and they, they need they need to get out of there um 
And uh, Tom kind of abandons all plans to go on Ilya at this point and says, you know, we just need to get out of here. Um, and, and this is also where Tom kind of goes into the tale about because Random Matt asked Tom, why are you helping us? Like, what's the deal? And, and Tom goes into this entire story about his nephew, Owen. Um, so, what's your thoughts about that? Again, I'm, I don't like, I'm, I'm trying to read this with an open mind. I'm trying to read it like Chris and be accepting of what people are giving me. But I can't help but be skeptical. Like, I guess that's just going to be, I'm going to be that guy this entire series. Um, now, now I'm not sure if I can even trust the story that Tom is telling uh, about his nephew, or maybe there's hints of truth to it, but he's clearly not telling everything. Um, I don't know. I've just, I found myself, the more Tom talks in the back of my mind, I'm saying bullshit. And, and, and again, it's just part of the smoke and mirrors that he's trying to, he's trying to get these boys to do something, um, but not really giving them the full story. Uh, I didn't feel sorry for him when I read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts, Chris? <laughs> Always the skeptic. <laughs> yeah. You could be right. Like we, you're right. We really have no idea, but you know, I, I, I really find it interesting that Matt becomes the voice of reason. Like we kind of just like glazed over all this. Um, and it, it really makes me begin to think, is it Matt? Like, or has Matt been possessed? Or is Matt being possessed? Oh, yeah. Hmm. So like my, 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 my mind has kind of gone off on not Tom, but on Matt. Because that becomes much more cryptic. He becomes much more um, involved in different aspects of the travel. He's really trying to get rid of Tom. He's trying to get rid of anybody that might recognize him for who he is, which is, uh, I was in the Mordrock. Now the name won't come to me. Merchel? Yes, Merchel. Thank you. Like, I don't think it's really Matt anymore. Oh, more death. Or do you mean more, more death. death? Sorry. More death. More death. Yeah. Sorry. I think it's more death. Not a little bit of death. More death is more death. slowly <laughs> slowly making his way into Matt's mind and slowly consuming him. And so now he's trying to get rid of Tom. So he's like, because it said Matt's face red and half embarrassed, half angry. He avoided looking at Rand and scowled at Tom instead. Why are you going to all this fuss and bother? You want to go back to the boat, go back to the boat. We'll take care of ourselves. Yeah. He's trying to get rid of him. And then, you know, the Gleeman's like, you think you know enough about the Midral to escape by yourself, do you? You've already walked into Tarvalon alone and hand yourself over to, or excuse me, you're ready to walk into Tarvalon alone and hand yourself over to the Emerald Seat. Can you even tell one Ajay from another? The light burn me, boy. If you think you can even go into Tarvalon alone, you tell me to go. And then Matt's like, go. And he growled mm-hmm. put his hand <laughs> under his cloak. Like, not only that, he's ready to kill him. Yeah. Rand realizes with a shock that he was gripping the dagger uh, from Charlar Logoth, maybe even ready to use it. Like, these are 
things that we kind of glanced over really quickly as we're trying sure. to get towards where we're headed. But I had to take that step back because that's an important scene. I don't think that's Matt anymore. Um, and then just kind of moving forward and looking at the story regarding Tom and his supposed nephew. I, I think that there's some truth to it. Um, just that Owen died a few years later. Um, you could only say, you could say I said I killed him. So, but like the, the imagery, I had a nephew, Owen, he said wearily shrugging out of his cloak. Like this wasn't one of those moments of like joy or happiness. He wasn't telling a story. He was reliving a fact kind of the same way he whispered the um, story of the horn. And he just Mm kind of, I can see the age kind of showing. I can see the, the weight of his burden coming through said he made a pile with his blanket roll as he talked, carefully settling his case instruments on top. My brother's only son, my only living kin, he got in trouble with Aes Sedai, but I was too busy with other things. I think he maybe was on a hunt for the horn. Maybe he was part of some great band. Yeah. Uh, maybe he was in another war. Like That's... Yeah. That that line I agree with you on, Ian. There is more to him. It's just what's the more. Yeah. And this is I don't know what I could have done, but when I finally tried, it was too late. But even that line yeah. where it says you could say I said I killed him, it's just it's odd that you could say part. Like, I mean, I'm I'm thinking all sorts of crazy shit at this point. Okay, maybe his nephew never, maybe he never actually died, died, like no longer alive, but he changed so much that the person he knew is Owen doesn't exist anymore. I mean, shit, Owen could be fucking the wolf guy. I mean, I mean, not like Effie the wolf guy, but he could be the, I said, (laughs) crazy, crazy. (laughs) Oh, man. Owen could be the wolf guy that, anyways, you know what? Let me stop. Chris, your turn. Who knows? He could just be a different person at this point. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, uh, Owen changed his name to Elias, just like Joe, <laughs> Joe, whatever his name is, Joe Exotic, and the tig- the tigers and wolves are just kind of out for each. <laughs> you can tell what I've been watching during this isolation. <laughs> so oh, Elias goodness. is the wolf king, and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and and Moraine and the Aes Sedai are, 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 Carol, are Carol Baskin. Uh, and- <laughs> Carol fucking Baskin. <laughs> Maybe Owen becomes a fade. Oh, oh okay. Man, way to go and make it serious. But that, no, I mean, but that's a great example. Like maybe he transitioned into something. Anyways, yeah, I like it. Yeah. That's a possibility. All right. <laughs> But so we're still so, getting, to my point with Tom, I, I feel like we're getting half truths or just bits of truths and a lot of stuff left out that is probably yeah. rather important. So it's hard for me to trust them. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, Tom wants them to keep, uh, he's trying to keep him from going to Tarvala. And he, he mentions that saying that, you know, he, do, he doesn't trust the Aes Sedai. He doesn't want to go in there. That's part of the reason why he's keeping them. And they get out to the alley. Uh, they get out of the inn and, and Tom says, wait here. I'll be right back. 
And and when Tom leaves, uh, you know, Rand turns to Matt and asks him what's wrong. He's like, what's going on with you, Matt? And and Matt kind of like grumbles back, says, I don't like being chased. Um, and, and and when and Rand's kind of wondering what kind of trouble did Owen get into uh, with the Aes Sedai. And, and I was going to ask you guys, you know, what your thoughts were, but I think we already talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Conspiracy. Um, Sure. And, and they look up at a dark figures coming down the alleyway and, you know, they they start freaking out and then realize it's Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's always all them work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom of auto riddle. Anyway. Yeah. So, so Tom's like, Tom's kind of reassured. He's like, well, at least my disguise works. So uh, let's go ahead and, uh, and start heading out. And uh, so they go out to the square and as soon as they get up to the, to the main city square, they look across and there's a fade walking right towards them. Uh, it's like B line and the whole crowd. And this is, this is one of the cinematic scenes in my head that I can just picture. Like they come out of the alleyway, they go into the thing and the, the crowd's just partying as this, it, it, like almost like a snake slithering towards them, like, like death approaching them. Um, you know, and, and Tom tells them, do not look at the face. You know, don't look at his face. Don't look at his face. And, it takes everything out of Rand Peel's eyes away um, from the face. And, and we talked about this earlier, like how Rand always frees and how he's just a wuss from this or whatever. But I think we're getting a little bit more into this of, you know, Tom does more about fades, obviously, and, and, and tells him not to look into his face. Don't, don't do it. Um, so I don't know you guys got thoughts about that, but. Yeah. So let me jump in. And I love this. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a small Chris. We're only going to go back a couple of paragraphs. Uh, but I love how Alan builds up the suspense and we're right at this very crucial point, And then we're going to back it up a little bit. And it's really only yeah. for one <laughs> line and I underline it. It stood out to me because I'm looking for ways where Jordan might be foreshadowing a little bit or giving us hints. Uh, but Tom was giving Rand a hard time about his height. And he says, can't you slouch? He added to Rand. That height of yours is as bad as a banner. And all of the banner talk we've had so far has been about the banner of the various dragons. So oh. I, I get I get that it's maybe an author nod. Uh if if perchance by book fourteen Rand is the dragon reborn, uh there's our <laughs> nod right there. Tom, Tom okay. <laughs> so small highlight. Small highlight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so fate's coming towards him, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and your, your nod just kind of blew my mind a little. So I didn't really think about that, like the height was a thing. Yeah, but it was just like a characteristic trait for me. I was like, eh, whatever. But yeah, the the fade coming towards him is like this is where I do get have that moment where I have my Ian moment where I'm like. Tom, why weren't you more straight up with the guys to begin with? Why didn't you prepare them better while they were on the ship? Why mm-hmm. didn't you tell them and warn them and train them? Like, you taught them shit about being a gleeman. Now, there's two sides to the coin. Is it because you did lose this nephew and you really do want a better life for the boys? Or is it because you're guilty or feel guilty for a past that you can't correct? So you don't necessarily embrace it anymore. Yep. I like that. Sure. Yeah. Do it is by telling all these extravagant stories and hiding your pain behind the stories. 
So yeah, so yeah. I was gonna say because he's so quick. Once he realizes the fade knows who they are, the fade is just like, you know, playing with them. At this point, he's like, "Oh, I got you." Then, like Tom jumps to action. He said, "Well, he know, thinks he thinks about it for a second. He hesitates. Thinks, you know, you can tell he's thinking about it." <laughs> and that's then, true. and then, you know, he kind of comes to and he gives all his stuff to Rand and says, "Get to the Queen's blessing in Camelot." You know, that's where you need to head to. And and he starts yelling, just run, run. You think you're not running fade? Well, now's the time. Run. Um, <laughs> and, and Tom pulls out his daggers and charges right at the fade. Um, I wonder if these are his best daggers. Yeah. Oh, maybe. <laughs> so, but they, they do mention that there's a blue flash and then there's Tom screaming as they run away. But he, but Tom manages to still yell, "Run!" through his screams. So the air in the square flashed an eye searing blue, and Tom began to scream. But even in the middle of his screams, he managed a word: "Run!" Ran obeyed. The gleaming screams pursued him, clutching Tom's bundle to his chest. He ran as hard as he could. So, like, there's this inference that Tom is no longer with us. There's an I, I inference, but I have a hard time. Reason, go ahead, you because you're about to say it. I'll let you have it. No, no, no. That's it. Like that's what I was gonna say. I'm gonna let you continue. I, I, I don't. I can't believe that. Uh, I yeah. I read through this a couple times to see. Did I skip over something? Was there an exact moment? Was was there a kill blow? No. He just shouts, "Run!" And then we have all these. I mean, we're supposed to think that he's dead, but I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm in shock, like there's no way because I had all these plans in my head of this badass character Tom's going to be. So maybe I'm just in denial right now. I don't know, but I, I just, I didn't get the feeling reading this that Tom's actually dead. Well, Robert Jordan was friends with, with George R. R. Martin, you know, so. I know, and that's <laughs> why I like, that's, this is, so this is where my mind hopes that he's not as dark as Martin, because Martin came after, so it's more with, as Martin as dark as Jordan. So this is where, like, I, I'm praying that Martin's just a little bit sicker and needed to separate himself from Jordan a little bit, so he actually killed people. As where Jordan does the cliche thing and, you know, follows the whole token and allows for Tom to come back to life. Like, I have hope. I have hope that I have one author. Like this, He wrote 14 books. I cannot go through 14 books of killing off my favorite people. Like, I am still struggling through Game of Thrones because... Like everyone does. I'm still <laughs> waiting on a book and everybody's dead. Like we've got all these new characters that we haven't even had developed yet. And we're near the end of a series. that's never going to be finished. I have faith that this man whose wife picked the person to write the last two books, three, three, I have three, excuse me. If his wife read the, cause clearly she'd had to have read the book to find somebody actually finished writing the books. So I'm hoping he has a little bit more compassion for those of us that fall in love with characters. Like Arya and with Which, Martin. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I got stuck on this part because I didn't feel like Tom actually died and I'm looking for other hints. And 
the only other thing, and this is why I started getting a negative view of Tom as I reread this chapter, and especially these two pages, it talks about when when he screams run, and then Tom starts sprinting towards the fade. It says the fade was just as startled. And <laughs> what, are, what are, again, conspiracy theory, Ian, like why would it be startled? Well, maybe Tom was uh, a dark friend. Maybe Tom's role up until this point was to lead the boys uh, away from the group or um, into danger or at least away from their destiny, whatever it's supposed to be. But perhaps he had to change a heart. And at that moment when he charged the Fade, like in the Fade's mind, he's like, wait, why? This isn't part of the plan. Uh, but either way, like it still kind of falls into that thought process that maybe Tom's not actually dead. There was there was a tussle, but I, I think we see him again. And we'll we'll find out but, what, what really happened. And we don't know what that black that blue light was. Like we have we, we know that the fades have power. But we've, seen, no... we've, seen, we've seen blue light flash before. We saw it with Lance Sword yep. um and Camlin Road when they fought the when he fought against the fade. Um Yeah, but where did that light come from? His best daggers. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Exactly. Like the light did not come from the fade. The light came from land swords. So, Ian, you're calling Tom or, a dark friend, right? Is that is that what you're saying? I don't no, know. Or don't maybe know what he's a warder. So, 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 wait, wait. Ian's calling Tom a dark friend. He's calling me a dark friend. I'm going to call you guys white cloaks because you just call everyone <laughs> dark. <friend. laughs> uh, uh, uh. You guys are just a bunch of white cloaks. That's that's what this comes down. To. But I, I can't run it. I'm Inquisition Tom I don't even power though. Yeah, I don't know what I believe in, so I can't run an Inquisition. I can't be like stand here on trial. Do you believe in the possibility that a lot of things could be happening here? And they're like, yes. Sure. I'm like, okay, you're with me. I'm yeah. cool this. I'm thinking Tom may have magic, or may have been a warder, or. Like, like maybe that's where this blue light came from. Maybe it did come from his best daggers. Like, maybe that's why it cut, caught the fade off guard. So, yeah. I have faith yeah. that we will see him again. So, that's why, like, not nothing about me wanted to be like, oh, he's gone. Like, by book, nah, by book, by book, by book, by book 10. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. He will be back. Maybe, maybe that's maybe. part of it, Chris. Maybe I have hope that he's still alive because there's so much more that we can learn from him. Like there were just still so many questions and there's still so much knowledge that he has that he hasn't shared with us, the reader, in its entirety. Like it'd be a shame to lose him as a character. Like, there's, there's but you know, we could have learned a whole lot more from Ned Stark. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Why cast such an awesome actor just to whack him so exactly. much? You could have saved so much money. <laughs> like, uh, what were they thinking? So, yeah. So they, there's panic everywhere. They make their way out of the gate. Um, you know, um, uh, yeah, they make they make their way out the gate. There's people running everywhere, and they, they finally stop, and, and Ren, you know, kind of talks about going back to back towards Tom or whatever and and Matt's like, no, he's dead. You know, didn't you hear him? Tom's dead. Right. Uh we just keep going on. And the chapter ends with them just kind of making their way down the empty road. And looking back and 
no one's there and that's that's kind of where we ended. By the way, we are now halfway done with the first book. So, um, hooray! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, any thoughts on this chapter? Anything I might have missed, or anything we missed? You kind of want to go back to. Well, I think that he's dead. You saw it. You heard light ran. He's dead. You think Egwene and Moraine and the rest are dead too? If they're dead, why are the Midros still hunting them? Answer me that. So, like, there's now a push because they realize that maybe everybody is still alive. But then it's like, Tom is dead, but everybody else is still alive. We've got to get there. We've got to get to the Queen's Blessing, which now I want to know what the heck the Queen's Blessing is all about. Right. So I'm ready to keep reading. (laughs) Sure. So, um... Yeah, so anything else for you, Ian? For every one question answered, 20 more come up. And <laughs> well, it's book, it's book one. It's book one. Uh, you know, so they have to, yeah, they, they can't tie up stuff yet. <laughs> they got a long ways to go before you start tying in arcs. But um, yeah, so um, next week we'll be covering the next three chapters. So we did two chapters this week. We'll go back to three um, for the next episode and then. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. The six following episodes will be two chapter episodes. So this will be our next week will be our last three chapter episode for for quite a while, forever a month. So, um, but uh, we'll be back on the two train. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, and those chapters are just for anybody else listening along: shelter from the storm, footprints in the air, and eyes without pity. So. Um, some good chapters there. They're all good chapters. So um, just to how to find us, we can find on social media um, at The Wheel Reads, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're most active on Twitter. I'm trying to get better about the Instagram thing. I've been doing these little videos and little splashes on there. I also share them on Facebook and, uh, and, and Twitter as well. But that's – I really – that for Instagram um, where where there's like little cl- – clips before we release the episode of the previous episode um the pulse there um facebook's picking up a little bit more i've joined some groups on facebook i still don't like the twitter community on facebook or the not twitter the will of time community on facebook as much as i like the twitter one although i'm more used to facebook so we'll see um um at the wheel read or the wheel reads at gmail.com is our email address hit us up there as we mentioned the beginning episode our Discord channel is a great place to engage with us and join us. I cannot stress enough. Click on the, click on the link below. Join join the Discord server. You won't regret it. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you don't like it, leave. It's free. Um, if you feel like paying us money, there's Patreon too. Um, you can go visit the link for free. Uh, but further than that, you have to pay. So, uh, But you can go look at the different levels uh, we have and, and what's out to offer there. Patreon's a great way to support us. Um, and then also whatever service you listen to us on, feel free to like, share us. Um, you know, nothing makes me more happy to see uh, new listeners on our first episodes. Um, so uh, we've had a lot of new listeners started to come through. You know, now we're 13 episodes in. I, I, I like it when my numbers are big on the back end, you know, meaning that we have our loyal fans keep coming back and listening to us. What makes me more excited is those first episodes numbers keep on getting bigger and bigger, which means that we're getting new listeners. Um, 
you know, it'd be one thing if like we had 200 listeners at the beginning and then we have a hundred listeners and then it stays at a hundred, a hundred, a hundred. And that 200 is never going up, which means there's no new ones coming down the pipeline. But that is those, those first episodes keep on going up and up. So I'm excited that people are sharing it with their friends. If you have people that want to get into a new podcast or into the real time series, please share us. Uh, that, that makes me more excited than anything else. Anything else from you guys? No, sir. All right. Well, until next time. Until next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.